City Club Youth Forums are sponsored by AT&T, the Shar and Chuck Fowler Family Foundation, and the William M. Weiss Foundation. We're grateful for their generous support. Good afternoon and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland's Youth Forum Council, where we're devoted to conversations of consequences that help democracy thrive. I'm Barbara Yang, a senior at Laurel School and a member of the Youth Forum Council. It's February 18th and you're with a virtual uh, virtual youth forum. I'm happy to introduce today's forum in a conversation about internet inequality. In 2016, the United Nations declared internet access a human right. Making the internet a public utility has been discussed for decades, and the call to finally make the move to provide access to all was felt like never before at the onset of COVID-19 shutdowns. Nearly 15% of American homes have no internet access. Advocates of the push for internet as a public utility say that lack of access creates lasting socioeconomic effects, as well as carrying the potential to impede the practice of other rights, such as free speech. Also without it, thousands of school children have been left behind due to lack of access. Now a year into the pandemic, this equates to a full grade loss for some of our poorest and most disadvantaged students. Public school enrollment has significantly decreased nationwide with a 16% average drop in kindergarten enrollment. While using technology to continue classroom sessions was the obvious alternative to in-person schooling, for many parents and guardians, internet access continues to be a luxury difficult to afford even prior to the massive job losses due to the pandemic. What are local, state, and the federal government doing to ensure citizens have sufficient access to the internet? How does the concept of net neutrality impact the push to address um, income internet inequality? Joining us today to discuss these issues and many more are Dorothy Bonnock, CEO of Digital Seed, a nonprofit focused on improving greater Cleveland's digital literacy and providing residents with an affordable high-speed internet connection, Dr. Henry Pettigrew II, Superintendent and CEO of East Cleveland City Schools, Dr. Gregory Parambescu, Assistant Professor and Director of International Programs, as well as the Associate Director of the Transparency and Governance Center at Rutgers University, and Mallory Wilkes and Treya Gray, Youth Council members at Empowering Youth, Exploring Justice, also known as EYEJ. As in every City Club Forum, you can participate with your questions. Text them to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. You can also tweet them at City Club Youth. We'll try to work them in. Here to guide our discussion is Youth Forum's Community Outreach Coordinator, Kasav Kosana, a senior at Zolan High School. And Kasav, I'm turning the forum over to you. Thank you, Barbara. So as we get started with today's forum, the first point I wanted to discuss is Generally, what does the role of internet access play in the education of children? And how did that importance of internet and the role of internet change, especially this past year during the pandemic? Dr. Pettigrew, would you like to start? Absolutely. Uh, and good afternoon, everybody. Um, I'll give you a perspective uh, about internet coming from East Cleveland. You know, before the pandemic, we weren't really using internet. Um, in East Cleveland, we were the least connected city um, before the pandemic. And uh, when it hit us, we didn't really have ways to connect to our students with internet. Uh, and so we'll be happy to talk about some ways we started to make progress this year to get our students connected and to get them to the, the internet. 
Um, but prior to that, because we were in an impoverished district, um, it was basically pencil and paper. So the pandemic was horribly um, bad in terms of setbacks for our children. Um, and we really needed to come up with a way to deal with this issue we're talking about, this, this digital divide. Um, so internet is incredibly important. Uh, and we didn't know so until the pandemic hit how important it is and how far our children were away from the average child in this country. Thank you. Would anyone else like to jump in? I can I can also um, jump in and, and and I definitely fully agree with everything Dr. Pettigrew has mentioned. It's you know it's but I, I think in addition to to health, what we're seeing is is that the internet is really um, and and access to the internet is is turning into a public health issue, right? Um, just today in the New York Times, I think it was today, um, they, they, some statistics dropped. Uh, the life expectancy of African-Americans in the United States dropped by 2.7 years after decades of progress, right? And if you look at sort of um, the less affluent communities that tend to be, uh, you know, have higher populations of African-Americans and, and lack of internet access, right? So the groups who are, who, who, who've seen the greatest um, health disparities from this also happen to be concentrated in areas where um, where there's no internet access. Um, so 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 it's it's not just whether you know we need to have access to the internet to to um, have a job or, or or educate ourselves, but it's it's literally uh, you know a question of life and death right now. Yeah, and I'll just comment further on that. So East Cleveland has the unfortunate distinction of being the least connected city in Ohio, maybe in the country, uh, with more than 60% of the residents have no access to internet. Cleveland is the least connected major city in the country. So this is with, in cities with households more than 100,000. And we've bounced around in the top five least connected for the last seven years, and nobody noticed until a pandemic hit. Yeah. And it's not mistakeable. I mean, it's not a mistake that we're also the poorest city in the country. And those two are inextricably and sadly linked. And we have got to figure out a way to fix this because if you want to achieve racial equity and inclusion, you cannot do that by not putting electricity in the neighborhoods of the 21st century. And that's exactly what's happened here. To add on to that, um, let me introduce myself. My name is Trey Gray. I'm a part of the EYEJ Youth Council. Um, I am the social media lead. So we have redlining going on. And if you look at the redlining map that one of our um, researchers, uh, Casey Morris, created or researched for us, it's, it's almost identical to the digital divide map. So it's obvious that people are, that internet providers are um, purposely not providing internet for black and brown people and poor people in general. Awesome. So given that importance of internet, how do we think you know, how did this so-called digital divide develop in certain areas around the country, and specifically in Cleveland? Obviously, factors such as racism and classism have become an effect, but were they also a large cause of the development of the digital divide in the first place? And was this kind of a recent issue, or is it rooted in 
you know, original racist issues from decades ago? Um, can I start this? Uh, I just like to say that uh, AT&T, um, about 10 years ago, uh, it was proven that they weren't providing to black and brown communities. And the it was based on the FCC forum 477 census block data from June 2016. It provides clear evidence that AT&T has withheld fiber and chance broadband improvements from most Cleveland neighborhoods with high poverty rates, including Glenville, Central Fairfax, South Collinwood, St. Clair Superior, Detroit Shoreway, Stockyards, and others. Yeah, and you can look on our new um, EYEJ website. We have a digital divide like timeline of a break of um, everything that's been going on. And you'll find that um, the digital divide has actually been um, looked into by Cleveland since the year 2000, so 20 years ago. And millions of dollars have been spent to try to um, combat this, and we're still dealing with it now. Well, I, I can jump in here as well. I, I think when we're talking about the digital divide, a, another critical issue is 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 defining it, right? Um, so, so when we're talking about the digital divide, it's it's really not, and I think that's what the COVID pandemic has really taught us is it's it's not just about having access to the internet or broadband. I mean, that's an extremely important factor. But then the next question is, is well, if you give people access to the internet. Does that mean that we're resolving all of these equity issues that are caused by by a lack of access? And of course, the answer is no, right? Um, there's there's a, a wealth of research. There's there's a number of studies that that show that technology itself, right, is 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 designed with with bias um, in it, right? So so when we're talking about digital divide, it's it, there are layers of it, right? It, it it comes from the design of technology, from the provision of technology. Um, training programs in terms of connecting people to resources that government makes accessible to them, right? There's there's a whole line of research on administrative burdens and, and, and talking about how um, various tools, which, which can include technology, are designed in a way to make things intentionally complicated so that people have a tough time um, accessing public services, right? Uh, so so I, I think when we're talking about the digital divide, it's, it's helpful to see sort of the forest and not the tree, the tree being internet access and the forest being this this whole ocean. Now I'm getting into a lot of na nature metaphors, but, um, you know, this whole ocean of, of, of uh, inequality uh, that, that, that we really have to focus on addressing um, if we want to make meaningful, uh, uh, meaningful progress in, in terms of connecting um, everyone to, to opportunity through, through technology. That's a great point, Greg, and I think that you have to look at this from the perspective of both access and adoption, and then also look at the impact on the social determinants of health, which all blend together. So you do have to figure out the layers, but first you've got to have access. It's true that um, the carriers did not build infrastructure into the city of Cleveland or East Cleveland, and uh, that was redlining that really extended from the mortgage redlining because people that were in the city could not afford to pay the price that would provide the return on investment to build that infrastructure. And that's why an organization like Digital C exists as a nonprofit to really begin to build that infrastructure. And this is not something that one nonprofit can do, but this is something that's an all hands on deck 
in every community, in every city, and and urban and rural areas across the country. I mean, the time has come for digital equity and inclusion to be part of the overall equity and inclusion movement and social justice movement. And um, it and again, it took a pandemic to wake people up to these facts and how bad this was. Um, and you know, now everybody wants to help and get involved, but. <laughs> The question is, how do you do that? And, the, and um, I was on a call just before this that the state of Ohio, in, in its new budget, is finally allocating significant dollars to address the digital divide in Ohio. Other states will do that, and I think the federal government is ready to do that. So the good news is people are aware and they're trying to address it. But it's going to take a long time to make up for the damage done by this lack of access. Um, I would just like to jump in and say that this is very urgent because this is affecting youth in a very, very dramatic way. First of all, um, I know kids from the areas such as St. Clair that have no internet access and due to them not having internet access, they are forced to find other ways to um, have fun. So there's a rise in violence, first of all, because kids are bored and already East Cleveland and St. Clair is targeted because it's a primarily black area. So police officers are over watching that area. So there's more and more black um, black and brown kids going into jail and not even getting a chance because the city has failed at providing us internet and education and ways to escape um, the mental drain of the pandemic and the digital divide. Yeah, and to also go with um, Greg's point, uh, after we close the digital divide, hopefully, um, UIJ has been working with senators to create a digital literacy bill um, and teach uh, everyone about computer education. So there isn't that kind of technology bias. Yeah, if I, if I can jump in there just to add, you know, boots on the ground in East Cleveland when the pandemic hit, um, we absolutely saw that we as the district, we began providing internet um, for our parents and our, our students. Uh, so one way, as you said, there aren't a lot of ways to get internet in East Cleveland uh, in some of our areas. So we did have Winspeed uh, Broadband, who was already in East Cleveland. Um, they used to be called East Cleveland Cable. Uh, they became a quick partner. We're trying to get you know broadband into homes. Uh, we also did some T-Mobile hotspots, um, but those have their own set of, of issues and quirks uh, with them being portable and being able to be moved. Uh, so this idea of trying to have consistent internet for all the students um, is more and more increasingly uh, important because uh, as I, I heard uh, on this panel say that, you know, the students get into other things when they're not able to access education and access um, the other worlds that we have outside of our bedrooms through the Internet. Uh, so really, uh, this is a deep and important issue that we're having. So I also just wanted to chime that in. Awesome. Thank you. And as we move into you know the pandemic and now the later stages of the pandemic, especially in Cleveland and even around the country, how have we seen this issue kind of being solved by school districts and even state governments? Um, and have these solutions that have been implemented been successful or do we still need more work here? 
We definitely need more work because, first of all, I know a lot of people that have hot spots and their whole entire family is running off of one hot spot. Mm-hmm. And that's most definitely not a solution. Um, my friend, her name is uh, Sarah. Her family all works on one hot spot. And so, first of all, the hot spots die very easily. Mm-hmm. So, it's definitely not a solution. And, um, I mean, it's, it's temporary. They're very temporary. So it's dramatically affecting her mental health as well as her family's because her mom works from home. She works from home. Everybody is at home. And with them not having internet, like real internet, her grades are low. Her mental health is low. It's just overall messing up a lot of families in the community all in one. Yeah. So a year ago, we saw that um, two thirds of CMSD youth did not have access to these hotspots or tablets. And that was right as soon as the pandemic hit. And they spent $14 million and promised that every student would get a laptop and a hotspot to go to school. And just this week, we're still seeing that CMSD students do not have access um, to these resources. And we're still seeing that 30% of family members in Cleveland do not have any internet or high-speed internet. Yeah. So this is not a quick fix. We It didn't take us a couple of years to get here. As someone mentioned, uh, it took us 20 or 30 years to get here. And so it's not going to get fixed overnight. We have a terrific partnership with CMSD. As they gave out the hotspots, we committed to build infrastructure and take um, internet to the homes of their students. Um, we've only been able to get to 450 homes, but that impacts 850 students approximately. And um, then also in some of the other public school districts, but students are impacted dramatically. And as you mentioned, parents are working from home. So we kind of divide the issue up into three buckets, if you will. You've got the students, and we know that that's a terrible problem at this point, particularly since they're not back in school. You've got seniors who are isolated in high-rise apartments or low-income housing. They don't have access to internet. Their isolation and mental health is becoming an issue, and they can't participate in telehealth appointments like um, anyone on this call is able to do because we have access to Zoom and other, uh, other amenities because we can get access to the internet. And then as someone mentioned earlier, there's this population in the middle that we call the strivers. And that's pretty much the caregivers for the students um, or the seniors or both, because in Cleveland, we have many multi-generational families and it impacts the entire family and the entire fabric of the community when you don't have access to internet. And many of the strivers, as we call them, are un or unemployed under or unemployed now because of the pandemic and without access over the last 20 years, they don't even know how to use the internet once they get it. So this is again, multi-pronged. Once you connect people, it's only the beginning of solving the issue. And the, you know, governments have not done enough fast enough to help this. And um, not only do we have redlining, but if you think about choice, People don't have choice in these communities either, and in particular, not affordable choice, because $50 to $100 a month to get the kind of access that everyone deserves in their home 
is not affordable to people in communities that are primarily of color. And it's just, it, it's just not right. So again, we have a long way to go to fix this. I say that, but I'm always the optimist. At least we've recognized the problem. Governments are coming to the table. And I think we finally have the will to make the adjustment to the solution. So my question is, how long do we as different organizations have to keep putting in the work when the government, who is our authority, should be doing that? Why do the citizens in the community have to do that? And how long is it going to take? Because we don't have tomorrow. We don't have now. <laughs> well, I can't speak for governments. <laughs> and, you know, our... That's why we elect officials to represent us in government. And I think it's really important that as we come of age to vote, we vote for officials that understand the issues and are committed to the issues that provide social justice, equity, and inclusion. I, there's no other, I mean, that's the, and, and I'm, a, I'm not a political person, but on, on either side of the aisle, you can find people that become committed to this. So find your candidates and make sure they get into government. And there are plenty there now that recognize this. Again, can they can they make this right overnight? It's not, it, it takes a minute to build infrastructure in the communities to take internet to the home. And it takes, it takes dollars and focus dollars. And the other thing that happens when governments put money on the table, a lot of people line up for them. So... Just, you know, the realities of life are the realities of life and government. And um, But the good news is your voices are there and you're expressing them and hopefully they're being heard. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in as well. I, I mean, uh, if, you, if you look at some of the CARES Act spending, right, so th there was a lot of money earmarked um, to, to mitigating the digital divide, right, for overcoming. But... Um, the money, you know, it's it's basically distributed to states, and then the states um, open up uh, the money to 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 actors who qualify for it. But, you know, my my sort of of issue with with this is is there's a lot of value in that, but what's missing is an overall plan, right? Like, what what do we want to get? And I think that's what you're getting to, Treya, as well. Is is so? What are we going to do? Like, where what's the game plan here? We're giving everybody money. Oklahoma is doing something. Ohio's doing something different. New Jersey's doing something completely different. But where's where's the overarching vision um, in terms of transformation, right? Digital transformation and, and digital inclusion. And I think that's what's we, we don't have guidelines, and, and it's up to you know the organizations like um, Dorothy is running and and, and Dr. Pettigrew's off efforts. Um, it's it's too much on their backs. I mean, I think we need a, a digital vision to guide us towards this this uh, you know digital inclusion. Um, I'd like to speak on what Dorothy said about electing officials. Um, so with the digital divide going on, we're obviously being less un, less educated. So with knowing that, um, even when we were in school, the education system is wrapped around white supremacy. So we are upholding white supremacy within the eyes of all of the children. So all of the, like the government, the education that we're receiving is moved towards more of a Republican a Republican um, matter. So 
this is the reason for redlining and everything. So our education system needs to be reworked anyways, so that this is Well, first of all, white supremacy isn't Republican or Democrat. It's, it's about white people and the, and the um, traditions that we have held on to, or maybe the history we've ignored. And again, before we can correct that, we have to own it. And then we have to elect officials, Republican or Democrat, that are willing to own it and fix it. Again, this is a multi-layered issue. So we, we can't solve it overnight, but the issues are on the table. And, it, and again, it's something the pandemic has helped to expose. It's terrible that it took a pandemic to bring this out. And people of color, um, and are are suffering more than others. So it's what are we going to do about it? But the fixes aren't quick. I mean, we didn't get here. This this is two or three hundred years in the making, not twenty or thirty. So you know, one step at a time. We've got to we've got to undo this. Uh, and I think just to add to that, you know, really, I'm I see in our district, three prongs to the problem. There's that access problem, the cable coming to the home or the, the box on the table that has the internet that too many people connect to. Um, but then there's also the devices. Uh, we found that there's shortages of devices globally. Uh, you can't get Chromebooks, you can't get certain devices, but then now you're putting them in hands of people who have not used those before so there's device management, maintenance, and repairs. And so there's layers of, of all of these things trying to make sure that the kids or the students can stay connected. But then even if you have the access and you have the device, then it's, it is that digital uh, literacy that Mallory was talking about that, that parents and grandparents, in a large part, who may have never had the internet in the home or may have not have used it uh, in their residence, now are having to help students with homework and trying to navigate Zoom and other things like we are. Uh, and that really is now becoming the big thing. Uh, and then the other piece, when we find, when we start going out trying to get internet services, um, number one, up on the company side, um, there were, you know, when trying to connect uh, residents to those companies, there were outstanding balances or there were other hurdles that you got to jump through or it'll be free just for a couple of months and then you got the back bill. You, you know, there was a lot of distrust between the community and the companies. Um, so that's also something we have to work out. But then when, as a district, we were actually uh, working with WinSpeed to hardwire or to install routers into homes, there's also that distrust of what is this? Why is it coming in my home? So just uh, an overall of the community not understanding um, this new era that we're in because it's something we've never seen before. Uh, so we want to run fast and we're really trying to run fast. But our community also, and I'm thinking of the, the older community uh, that, that I'm serving, particularly our seniors, uh, they needed to go a little slower while we're trying to go fast. They, they want us to go slow. So trying to coordinate all of that is, is really tough. Uh, so I applaud all the folks you know, on the call and those who are trying to move forward in this area. It is very difficult. Yeah, and that's the thing about EYEJ. Like, um, we uh, EYEJ as a whole empowers uh, change makers in our youth, and not just through their voice, but like through actual change. So we're trying to educate the community with our like town hall events and our phone zap events. We're trying to work with senators, but I still feel like we're we're not getting through as much as we should. Like, 
we we need an answer now. Like we're we're saying it's going to take a long time to get get the digital divide closed. Is it going to take twenty years, or or can it be fixed in about a couple months? Like we we don't have like a time frame on it, and we need need one. Well, I, just to chime in, I I mean I think I think to my mind, right, um, this isn't a race with a finish line, right? So so you know racism has existed in the United States for a very long time, right? And I, I'm sure it goes back, you know, even, even to the times before European settlers were here. Um, it, it's it's something that's been around and, and I think it's it's gonna stay, right? It's it's just, it's it's a continuous process of, of purging, you know, our structures and our systems and, and technology um, from these, these the, this approach to thinking, right? Um, Sorry, what do you mean by it's gonna stay? Sorry? What do you mean by it's gonna stay? I think that we're going to see inequality existing for a very long time, and there's going to be very race-based differences. Um, we see them continuing throughout society, right? Um, so what happens once we have internet access? I think we'll still see disparities in terms of digital literacy. And once we, you know, we reduce the digital literacy, um, we're gonna, I, I don't think it's helpful to see this as being a race to the finish line. I, I think this is something that we need to continually work towards striving for, right? Racial parity. Um, otherwise, it's you know we I I wouldn't feel comfortable saying okay well we've got you know basically African Americans and white Americans now have access to the internet uh, everybody has access so we're done here right I think that's a very dangerous mentality to have um, I think we can continually work towards improving inclusion um, and, and move away from from set metrics if that makes sense. Thank you. Um, is there anything else anyone would like to jump in with before I'm forum in a minute here? No, I would just, you know, echo what Greg and Dr. Pettigrew said that, you know, this is a complex issue. There's multiple layers. I think we could fix internet connectivity if we had the will and the support of government and the carriers to fix it because some of the issues Dr. Pettigrew uh, pointed out where if you've got, you know, if you've um, been a subscriber, you lost your job, you couldn't afford it. Now you can't come back in it to any of those low programs. And at the very beginning, you're going to need uh, some help to get a head start. And everyone should have broadband access to their home, not a mobile hotspot, not something on a bus. And, I, and then the other issue nationally and even in Ohio, everyone thought it was a rural problem. Nobody even admitted that it was an urban problem to begin with. So, we, you know, it's a, it's a constant education. It's constant work that's going to happen. We can solve the internet problem far more quickly than we can the racial issues and racial injustice. And But we've got to be diligent and focused and working on all of them all the time. Thank you. And with that kind of commitment, I think we as um, Cleveland, East Cleveland, Ohio, the, the country, we know that we're innovative and, with and we have tenacity. And if we put our minds to it collectively, it can be solved. Thank you. Um, thank you very much. So at this point, um, I'll toss the forum over to Rimi or Asanya for our mid-forum segue. Good afternoon. I'm Rimi or Asanya, a member of the Youth Forum Council. 
Today, we are enjoying an enlightening and timely youth forum panel discussion on the lasting effects of internet inequality, the ongoing socioeconomic impact caused by the lack of internet access, and the work and advocacy to make it more accessible for all. The panelists featured today are Dorothy Bonnock, CEO of Digital C, a nonprofit focused on improving Greater Cleveland's digital literacy literacy and providing residents with affordable high-speed internet connection. Next, Dr. Henry Pettigrew II, Superintendent and CEO of East Cleveland City Schools. Next, Dr. Gregory Porambescu, Assistant Professor and Director of International Programs, as well as the Associate Director of the Transparency and Governance Center at Rutgers University. And finally, Mallory Wilkes and Treya Gray, Youth Council members with EYEJ. That's the Empowering Youth and Exploring Justice. Our esteemed moderator today is Youth Forum Council's Community Outreach Coordinator and Solon Senior, Kasav Kasona. Now, if you have questions for any of our panelists, please text them to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. You can also tweet your question at City Club Youth and we'll do our best to work it in. May we have the first question, please. Thank you. So the first question here is, are we trying to, um, in terms of this whole process, reach the homeless children to get computers or training because uh, studies have did not show that you know these people who needed help are getting the information that they need. Uh, I'll start that one off. Uh, we are getting internet access and devices to those students that are categorized as homeless uh, or doubled up, or, and those that are in those situations. Um, but we're not. Obviously, we can't do the hardwire to the home. That's where the, the mobile hotspots probably have the best application with students that are transient or students that may have to move from place to place. Um, but we definitely are looking at that and trying to address those needs. Um, but there's a lot of other issues in that um, besides just the computer and the access and making sure those students are successful. Yeah, and I'll just add to that. So our Cleveland student population was transient to begin with. And they're even more transient now. Dr. Pedigree, probably same thing in East Cleveland. It's very hard to find where the students are at this point to even get to them. Uh, and sadly, you know, some of the addresses we have are vacant lots or vacant homes. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's a tough, tough issue. And we have to, again, everyone needs to be served with internet. Um, I, I'm also a strong advocate for the homeless and getting everyone home, but that's another day. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's fair because I think that if, as as our authority once I said once again, um, you guys should be responsible in finding these kids and finding out where they are and how they're going to get internet. And with the broadband, um, you you can be in an area and you can receive three, four different types of internet, or you can be in an area where you receive zero or none so it's not fair for these homeless kids to have these hotspots and not have knowledge that they're actually going to have the actually be able to get internet just like um one of our youth council members miranda she was not able to get internet for almost a month because of the area that she was in so that's not fair the authority needs to step up 
Yeah, I'll, I'll, I, uh, you know, I completely agree, and I, I think it's it's been unfair for for a while because it's, you know, it, initially the idea was, well, we have, you know, we have libraries, and libraries um, will serve as an outlet to connect um, disadvantaged children or children without a, a fixed home to to the internet. But that's not, you know, now we're seeing how some of these initial ideas we had are so bad, right? And this is what the COVID pandemic is really doing, is, it, is it's giving us a, a, a sort of a clear illustration of how a lot of these, these um, poorly thought out policies to connect people are just woefully uh, under, well, they're underwhelming, right? They're not doing their job. Um, I also think that another challenge is, is for, you know, for school districts like Dr. Pettigrew's, um, which, which is, you know, transforming at the moment, it, from from what everything I've read online, I'm not in Cleveland. Um, this school district it has a lot on its plate, right? So in addition to the existing issues that need to be addressed, there's this whole other issue of of now having to on a you know the drop of a dime um, connect everybody with the internet. Um, so so it's you know I it, it's it's just a really a huge issue, um, and I it, I think to circle back to to some of the earlier discussion, really the only solution here is is political will, right? That's the cause and that's the solution. We, we cannot get good politicians if we do not change the education system to not uphold white supremacy. Thank we you. Can't. Yep. Um, so our next question here is, why would inventors, entrepreneurs, and investors have an incentive to put time, energy, and their capital into these new disruptive technologies or just improve services and products um, to a business that's almost publicly owned and publicly controlled. Yeah, just to chime in again, I mean, I, I think diversity is critical to 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 disruption, right? So um, <clears throat> I, I think that there is an incentive for businesses to come up with the next big thing, big uh, next new big thing. Um, I think what we're going to find from um, you know, a couple of years down the line is that those who have access to the internet are gonna be much more diverse, right? Um, and the, the demand for different types of products is gonna change as well as a result of the efforts, um, Dr. Pettigrew, Digital C, um, and other organizations that are now working rapidly uh, to connect folks uh, to the internet, right? So, so once they get to the internet, it, the question is, well, what are they gonna do there? And I think that there's a, there's a whole new incentive for, for markets to start thinking about ways of becoming more inclusive and, 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 and um, meeting potential demands. Um, I'd like to add on. So companies are now, um, they're hiring people and it's, so it's, it's gonna be obvious that people they're hiring people who have access to the internet because the digital divide increases the cost of job search, which simultaneously lowers both the chance of finding a job and the ability to make a decent income. So if you're paying for internet and your phone bill, which is $200 a month, but you only make $500 a month, that's half of your paycheck gone. So this, impl this implicates the economy as people are more frantic to find a, a stable job and don't have access to apply to one. So poor people are most likely not going to be able to get a job. But that is the incentive for employers and large companies to really help to create internet access because they want access to employees. And I do believe there's a 
trend in American business to try to um, figure out how to diversify their workforce, be inclusive, and make the jobs available to everyone in the community. And so that, again, I think is on the rise. And I think that public-private partnerships are the way to address this. Um, I consider myself an entrepreneur and an innovator, and uh, I've flunked retirement to take this job because I have such a passion about it. And we're using technology that's tried and true from around the world and bringing it to Cleveland to try to solve this problem. But we are disrupting the market for traditional carriers. And we have to be able to, um, we have to be able to have opportunity to give people choice and be disruptors. Um, you know, that's, that's what it's going to take to do this. So my um, internet and phone bills add up to more than my first house payment. That is ridiculous. And I understand exactly what you're saying, Trey, because people can't afford the carrier prices. So again, we've got to be innovative. We've got to form partnerships and we have to figure out how to address this just one step at a time. Yeah. And I'd, I'd like to say it's not even like uh, just not being able to afford one carrier over another. A lot of people don't even have the opportunity to pick which carrier that they have because they'll only be for a certain area. Right. And really, that, that that's what we're talking about, building infrastructure, uh, almost a public utility conversation. Um, just as uh, the electricity, water, gas, those things had to be regulated and moderated by, by the government. Uh, I think more and more as we are looking at this digital divide to make it affordable to everyone. Uh, and, and so you can get it into the homes. There has to be some form of regulation. Um, and to that conversation about, you know, are, are entrepreneurs or investors willing to put in the time to be disruptive with the new technologies? We're seeing that, uh, whether it's the ESSER money, the CARES money, round one or round two, that is flooding my inbox with so many companies saying that they have the solution uh, for the digital divide. Whether it's right or not, it is prompting companies to think differently, though I don't think that's the solution either. I think ultimately it's going to have to be where cities, governments, build out infrastructure, set up access points on buildings so that everyone in the in the um, in the community can have access to free Internet. They do that in other countries and other communities and other states uh, where an entire community can be uh, free Internet. Uh, so that may be some of the things long term needs to happen uh, so that this can be a, a, a reliable solution for all. Yeah, and, and I agree, reliable and affordable internet is essential, but free is not sustainable. Right. And so so I think we there's there's a balance on all things and yep. um and and uh we can make it affordable and and no one should have to go without if they truly cannot pay. That that should be the ground rule, yep. and everyone should get access to true broadband to their home. So again, working together with the public sector, the private sector, large, small companies, all hands on deck, institutions, we've, we just have to put our minds together and come up with plans. Back to Greg's point, if no one else is going to put up the plan, then that's what we 
have to do. And and the tent for this we has to be pretty big. <laughs> so. Then why then why are we still talking about it? Why haven't you done anything? Oh. <laughs> you know, I work every day to do this, so I it, we're doing it as fast as we can. Can I have some and, examples, please? Well, we um, have connected more than, we're almost at a thousand households in the city of Cleveland. We've built gigabit infrastructure into the poorest neighborhoods of Cleveland, Huff, Fairfax, Glenville, Central. I don't think any other carrier can claim that. We're very close to East Cleveland with our infrastructure. We have a meeting coming up with East Cleveland. Um, we're over in the Metro neighborhood where there's lack of internet connectivity. So, I, and we've done that in the, we worked right through the pandemic every day. You may, I'm at my office. I've got installers that just had to come in because the snow was too, you know, too hard to climb up on an icy ladder to get to the rooftops to install it. So every day through the pandemic, we worked, we went from 80 households to 800. And we have our sales and um, technical teams are comprised of students from Cleveland schools that are working with us because they came from the neighborhoods and they understand the neighborhoods and they understand what it's like to be without connectivity for them, their parents and their grandparents. And so I, you know, I, I do, I work at this every day. Okay. Again, I flunked, re I, I flunked retirement to do it. It's not a, a job. I don't need a career move. This is a passion. And more passionate people are what we need. Thank um, you. Just Sorry, that one, um, East Cleveland is still 50 to 75% have no internet access. And you're saying that these are the areas that you're covering. So I'm not understanding what is really being implemented and considering that um, I know many people that- So we have, we actually have a plan and a budget for East Cleveland to connect them to the internet. And we're meeting with them within the next few weeks with the county and the city and others. So again, one step at a time, but if, and, and again, it's a choice in terms of who is willing to put that internet infrastructure together. I think you've said, wow, is there at the moment? And we're not, if someone else is there to solve it, it you know, we, we're not needed. So we don't believe that we've got the one, you know, the one solution for everyone. We have a solution. We've proven we can implement it. We have partners, we have global partners. It's just a matter of being able to get the work done. And it's been, you know, and working through a pandemic makes life a little more difficult. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, that certainly is very inspiring. So the next audience question here is, how can individuals um, work to help stop the digital divide? What is the best actions we can take? As EYJ is working, um, we're not doing one step at a time. We're doing multiple things at the same time. Um, I was able to go down to Columbus to testify against the HB 13 bill. Um, also, we have programs. We go on Instagram Live to raise awareness for this. Um, you can follow our youth um, Instagram. It's EYJ Youth Council. And also, we're bringing attention to things, and we're also putting in action in order to get things done. 
just like going down to Columbus or having YODJ talk and discussing solutions and then actually putting in the work to do it. So it's not one step at a time. It's all steps to, we're putting all steps in action in order for things to get done faster. Yeah, and like uh, we we start off with awareness, but that that's the important thing, like educating each individual and then uh, you, you can join our events, like if we have another town hall or another phone zap event, any other community events, just uh, pay attention to like EYEJ has going on. And Mallory and Trey, your, your work is really important because it is about educating. So this question is about other individuals becoming involved. And it, there's a lot of education that has to take place. So people understand what the digital divide is, what the issues are. Again, it's not easy, it's a bit complex. Um, my technology background is in biology, not in uh, teleco, but over these past three years, I've learned a lot. And I think that the community is genuinely interested in learning more and helping. And, uh, and I do believe that all people are willing to help to, if you take a look at this, you can't help but want to help, right? So keep up your good work educating people, and I think that's how you do it. So your organization, our organization, there's a digital equity coalition in Cleveland that's sponsored by the Cleveland Foundation, um, the county, the city, the school, CMSD, is, is our biggest partner at the moment. And so everybody is trying to learn more to figure out what's the best solution. Thank we you. are not just educating, we're implementing as well. We're doing research. Which we're is important. Policies, we're creating a bill. We're not just educating. We're doing more. Yeah, and I don't I don't think of it as just helping either. Like we have to live through all of this stuff every day. One of the reasons that the youth council chose the digital divide is because at one point we have all experienced it. And it I the fact that like we as a youth have to speak up for all the other youth in Cleveland, like is is very important to me and it's not it's not just about helping it's like what i have to go through right um, Dr. Stress, we, um, with us being on the internet um we we have a lot of toxic stress considering that people are already being left behind so, so for example i know a girl that never had a phone she was already left behind she only had the vision of what was in front of her because she did not have social media based on what was going around around the world, what was trending around the world. So us having phones, um, it us not having phones is dramatically impacting our mental health. We're living through it. We don't have tomorrow or the next day because my mental health is going down and I have been at points where I don't want to continue my life because I can't get homework done. And if I can't get to the place that I wanna be, I can't make money, then I don't want to be here. So what are you guys going to do? What is going to happen? Thank you. Um, so the next audience question we have here is, you know, the arts organization all have educational outreach to uh, Cleveland schools. So how can they help? Um, Dr. Pettigrew, would you like to start us off? Absolutely, yes. Uh, 
they actually have a value. They can help as well. I know they're they're working CMSD. They work for uh, with us in East Cleveland. Also, just trying to add to the variety of of course offerings that we can offer to children. I know the next question is also asking about how can you use television. So how can we expand in terms of the the educational piece? Because uh, students are getting left behind. I hear the passion on this call. Uh, this is happening to students in real time. The young people. This isn't something that they're just talking about. They're experiencing it and they're living it. One of the things we did in East Cleveland back in March, we said, you know what? The district will pay for any student that needs Internet, um, whether it's T-Mobile broadband or whether it's Wi-Fi, whatever it is. We know we need we needed to do that. It's not a sustainable solution, but there was a right now fix. And we're trying to work with all of the partners that were mentioned to build a broader base there. Um, but definitely there is ways that the arts organizations can reach out. I mean, there's so much that we can do. We have to maintain the arts because uh, as we start looking at digital and we're, we're having other courses and classes, sometimes those those arts, those those courses get left out. So we do need some partners to help us beef up the materials, keeping them engaging, keeping it exciting for students. But I love the idea of being able to offer things on public access TV as well. Uh, and, and I think those go together. We can show and give students more opportunities to learn and expand their worldview uh, using these mediums. So absolutely, all of those uh, solutions are applicable here. Thank you. Um, would anyone else like to jump in, Dr. Parambescu? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think I agree with Dr. Pettigrew. Um, it's he he said it very well. I think there's there's um, a number of interesting opportunities that that are being presented, right, to to connect to the arts and, and to expand our, um, you know, our understanding of the world and of things. But but of course, this, you know, as, as we're seeing from this call, right? There, I mean, it it's it's nice to talk about arts, but there's there's so many other burning issues that 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 you know need to be addressed as well. Um, so it's you know it's it's just a tricky situation to prioritize resources. Thank you. So our next uh, audience question here is: um, Were there any low tech solutions that were being implemented for this crisis, especially during the pandemic? And if so, um, what were these solutions exactly? Uh, I'll jump on that. Our low tech solution was bringing students back to school January nineteenth. Um, while we're talking about the digital divide. Um, in East Cleveland, we've opened our doors uh, and over 60 percent of our students have opted to come back. That's the low tech solution um, when we're doing because here, here's the thing. Even though students are connected, even though they're remote, they got a Chromebook. We saw during and this is on ODE's website on their data insights uh, report. We saw students just do horribly during this remote. The grades from A's and B's dropped to C's and D's. And if you were just a middle of the road student, now you're looking at failures. Uh, so we the low tech solution, I believe, outside of you can do a hotspot, but we, there's issues with that is getting students back back to school. And we've done that um, and we're trying to make sure everybody's safe so that these these spaces uh, can be places where kids can get interventions. They can get helps. They can get supports. Our students are not doing OK remotely. Uh, they are surviving uh, a pandemic. So we quickly need to get them back to um, being in person. Uh, that is the low-tech strategy that we're trying to employ. I'm not understanding why we would bring students back in the middle of a pandemic when teachers can barely get kids to listen to them and keep their masks up. So it's just going to make the situation completely worse. 
Um, and East Cleveland's a little bit different. Uh, what we did see, uh, we were having problems with remote where students didn't want to have their camera on. And then when it's in person, they don't want to have their mask on. Uh, so, but really that's just behavioral with students and just teaching them good behaviors. We're walking through those things now as, as an early district. We've been doing it for about a month. So those are the hurdles, teaching people how to be safe, uh, making sure you're doing temperature scanning and we're doing rapid testing and we're cleaning with four or five different layers of protection. And our staff just got vaccinated yesterday with the first dose. So all of those things are happening to make sure this low tech solution, uh, because the online isn't working and the staying away isn't working. So we have to figure a way to do both. And then, and then the other conversation that we're not having is once we get post pandemic, we still should be able to offer the choice to teach remotely or students can come in person, give families that choice. So we're really trying to create an avenue that if you can survive online, you can stay, but the low tech strategy to help you and make sure that you can be successful is to come back to the buildings with all of the safety measures in place and tracking all of the COVID numbers and making sure everybody knows there's a whole plan on that, uh, making sure our students are safe, but that's what our community has asked for. Uh, they wanted the buildings back open uh, so that learning can restart back. So, um, and, and uh, to, to shift gears a little bit um, away from education and towards seniors, so in Newark, um, there's, there's an effort um, in collaboration with Rutgers and, and um, a couple of other actors in the city uh, to connect a low-tech solution um, to basically to call in and, and organize exercise classes over the phone, right? Um, just to connect these seniors um, who are, you know, who, who can't leave their house either because it's a pandemic or, or um, they're not seeing their families because their families can't swing by anymore. Um, so, so there have been efforts using phones, but I mean, those are clunky, right? Um, that doesn't work as well as, as you might hope. Um, and, and I think what, what's happening with some of these low-tech solutions is, is that um, people are giving up on them and, and then saying, well, we just need to go towards the high-tech solution. Um, and that's what's going on in Newark. So they're moving away from, from uh, flip phones to, to tablets, right, um, which creates new problems, of course. Thank you. So as we move on here, um, now kind of shifting towards more high-tech solutions, what are the most uh, promising cost-effective technologies that could be implemented to ensure we get Clevelanders and people in general online quickly. Um, we know about millimeter wave technologies such as satellite technologies like Starlink. Um, could that be one? And if so, are there any others that could be effective? So I'll comment on that. Satellite technology for the urban area is a little bit difficult because of the density of the urban area and the um, latency that it's uh, up and down is uh, a little bit difficult. You get a lot of interference. Millimeter wave is what we use. And obviously the best solution would be fiber to the home. But to think about digging up the streets of Cleveland or East Cleveland to put fiber to the home at this point, I think would be too long and way too expensive. Um, it, you know, tens to hundreds of times more expensive than millimeter wave. And so the millimeter wave technology where we actually take the fiber signal from the ground to the tops of tall buildings and create a fiber ring in the sky is the solution that we think works. Uh, we've been doing more than piloting it. We've implemented it. And uh, the issue would be to get enough dollars to complete that infrastructure so we could get to all neighborhoods of Cleveland and everyone in those. There's different technologies also that you can use from that millimeter wave technology um, to get into households. So 
If you've got line of sight from the top of a tall building, that's the best. Um, but if you, Cleveland is known as the forest city, to the, so to get under that tree canopy, uh, you have to use different technologies for that. Uh, there are some actually some LTE technologies, some of the um, older 4G technologies that can help to augment and lower the cost and speed up the process. So we're looking at a suite of technologies um, that could be used uh, and different neighborhoods and different building materials require the use of different technologies. So again, it's being innovative, being thoughtful, looking at technologies that are tried and true from across the world, and then bringing them um, to, to Cleveland or any city um, to try to figure out how do we get this implemented as fast as possible. Um, I also saw a question about how is Digital C working with the, the city of Cleveland. And I, I wanna say that I strongly believe in the public-private partnership. My career was in building public-private partnerships. And I think what's different about solving this issue is this is the public-private partnership at the leadership level where you get all of your institutions and your corporate community and your um, city, state, and county governments together. But this solution really needs to involve getting to the ground and the community level and finding the trusted people in the community to help you because not everyone believes that they it's not even believe they don't even know they need to be connected to the internet sometimes, or they don't, maybe they've heard things, bad things about the internet. And, um, you know, we, we uh, distribute uh, computers and internet service into these high rise apartments with seniors. Some seniors just don't want to be bothered with this, but in order for them to stay healthy and to have access, particularly COVID will not be the first pandemic that we're going to see, unfortunately, uh, over the course of lifetimes. And so we've got to think about this for the long haul and make sure that everyone has access, everyone understands how to use the Internet. And so, um, you know, I, I think it's just all hands on deck, public-private partnerships. There are ways to get this done. Thank you. And thank you all so much for speaking today. Um, at this point, I turn the forum over to Yash Kankaria uh, for our closing speech. Okay, thank you. Good afternoon. My name is Yash Kankaria, a senior at Solon High School and a member of the Youth Forum Council. Today's forum featured a discussion about internet inequality, the ongoing socioeconomic impact caused by the lack of internet access, and the work in advocacy to make it more accessible for all. Joining us today were Dorothy Bonnock, CEO of Digital C, a nonprofit focused on improving greater Cleveland's digital literacy and providing residents with an affordable high-speed internet connection. Dr. Henry Pettigrew II, Superintendent and CEO of East Cleveland City Schools. Dr. Gregory Poromsky, Assistant Professor and Director of International Programs, as well as Associate Director of the Transparency and Governance Center of Rutgers University. And finally, Mallory Wilkes and Trya Gray, Youth Council members at Empowering Youth Exploring Justice, also known as EYEJ. Our moderator is Youth Forum Council Outreach Coordinator, Kasav Kasano. Today's Youth Forum is presented in collaboration with Empowering Youth Exploring Justice. We appreciate the partnership and support of today's forum. City Club's Youth Forum is now sponsored by AT&T with additional support from the Char and Chuck Valor Family Foundation. 
the Doris C. Michael Ski Trust, and the William M. Weiss Foundation. We're grateful for their support. All City Club virtual forums are sponsored by the Bank of America, Key Bank, the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District, and PNC, and the many more generous members, sponsors, and donors listed on their website at cityclub.org. You can join them in supporting that work when you make a contribution online or become a member at cityclub.org. Join us on May 18th for the next Youth Forum. Thank you for joining us today. Our forum is now adjourned.